Okay, uh, if you've got the notes, why don't you flip open to them and let's jump into this, uh, this, this message real quick. It's the last message on the Believe campaign. And let me do this while, while we're here because I've had so many people ask me, what is on your shirt? What is on your shirt? My wife is at the retreat. This is my cream t-shirt. And she's not here, so I'm wearing it to church tonight. That's, what, that's the bottom line. That's what it is. And if you're like, well, I'm going to judge you, you're a Pharisee. So there you go. Get over it. All right. Uh, here we go. Uh, <laughs> hey, double D, how about that? All right. Here we go. Believe campaign is given to the DeFores. Let's jump into this. Welcome, LJFC, to the final message of blessed. I hope it has been a blessing to you. Here's how I would wrap up this message in one sentence. The heart of the Father is to bless you. Do you believe that? If you don't believe that, then I'm not sure either you haven't received the message, you haven't heard the message, or you have been taught another gospel. Because the gospel that's been handed to us, the one that Jesus died for, and the one that we preach, is the gospel that says all the way from the Old Testament through the New Testament, and that's how we've taught this message, that God is a blesser, the source of all blessing, and all blessing in your life come from God. Now, you may be going, no, I got it from my work, or I got it from this. God used those things to bless you. Absolutely used those things to bless you. God is the source, according to the book of James, God is the source of all blessing. Now, even if you're here and you disagree with that statement, there's room in the kingdom for you to disagree, but you're disagreeing with something that I'm right about. I just want you to know that right now. Now, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, well, let's, let's, let's move a little further into this. Here's, here's what I want to teach you today. I'm going to use this scripture as sort of a basis to, uh, to launch into and to complete the idea that the heart of the Father is to bless you. Deuteronomy 30, 19 uh, is, is this verse here. It says, This day I call the heavens and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you, what does it say? Life and death, blessings and curses. And then there's a period right there, new sentence. Look at this sentence. Now choose life or blessing so that you and your children may live. I put two thoughts down then about that scripture right there that I think are interesting, and I'd like you just rhetorically to answer the question for me. Number one, why don't we automatically think this way? Why don't we automatically think that God sets before us everyday blessing? Why don't we believe that that is the Father's choice? Now, in this scripture, I know that some are going to go, well, this says that he sets before us life and death, blessing and curses. That's not the, the context is God gives to us blessing. When we do things his way, he blesses us. What the scripture says is if you go do things your own way, there's not going to be blessing that way. But if you do things my way, there's blessing that way. And then he sums it up by saying, so I set before you life and death, blessing and cursings. When you obey me, you'll be blessed. When you disobey me, disobey me, you come underneath a curse. Not that God curses you, because God does not curse you. But you live your life doing your own thing, and there's an automatic curse in that. Does that make sense? So God is saying, I set before you today life and blessing, uh, 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 life, life and death, blessing and cursings, therefore choose life. So my first question is, why doesn't our brain automatically tend to think that God wants to bless me? Why is it so hard to believe that that's what God really wants for us. And then the second question that I want to ask for you is, why does God have to give the exhortation for people to choose life? Why isn't that just, why, why can't you say, I set before you today life and death, blessing and curse? Why do you have to say any more? Help me with this for a minute. If, doesn't it seem like, if, if, if I took the average person here and set before you life or death in whatever form, how much encouragement would you actually need to pick life? Hopefully not that much. I mean, you're like, well, I totally need that encouragement. I, I would totally, I'm afraid I would blow it if I don't have. You, there's, you've got another, there's another problem and another message. So, so here's the deal. 
The, the whole idea is that the first way we should think is that God blesses us. But then I think the bigger question is, why, why is it that God has to encourage us to pick the blessing? And so maybe then I would take you down to Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Here's why I think this is not the natural thought of our mind. Now listen, I'm talking to people who know God. I'm not talking to people who don't know God. I'm not talking to people here tonight who don't have a relationship with God. I'm talking to people in here who have a relationship with God. I'm asking those people, why is, why is it your first thought that God wants to bless you? Why is it down the list somewhere else? And why is it that God has to encourage us to choose life or to choose blessing? Why isn't it automatic that we would do it? I think I found the answers here in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Paul writes this to a believing church. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be, what's the word right there? Transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The Bible tells us right here, there are three main issues to God's will. It's good, pleasing, and perfect. Yes or no? That's what it says. Yep. It doesn't leave a fourth category, like good, pleasing, perfect, and sometimes questionable. It doesn't say that. Right. It says that his will is good, pleasing, and perfect. That's what God's will is. Our minds are able to detect that and see that when they've been renewed. Without a renewed mind, this is the truth. You can be born again, your passport is stamped heaven. When you die, you will go to heaven because the work of heaven is based on the work of Jesus, not what you do. But the life you live here and now, you have to constantly be encouraged. Choose blessing. Come on, honey. Choose. Come on. What's wrong? Come on. Choose blessing. That's not life. Help me. That's not living. It should be the automatic thought. A renewed mind knows what is good, pleasing, and perfect and does not have to be constantly encouraged to do the right thing or to pick the right choice. The renewed mind. Maybe Eric and Rachel said it best. You get people, I get it. I told, when I'm sitting down here, I totally get it. It does turn into a machine. What you said in your part in the video, ministry can turn into a machine so quickly. And the very thing we set out to do for God, we end up, we end up doing without him. And it does turn into such a, it's a machine that we get so separated from him. I heard a guy say it this way, that, that the work of God that we do for the church can end up killing the work of God that he wants to do inside of us. How does that happen? So I think it goes back to this right here, that that unrenewed mind and that mind that is not in that constant place with God, it is so, that's why God has to constantly, look, I'm putting them both before you, pick the best one, encouraging, choose the best one. And a renewed mind knows automatically which one and what it's supposed to be doing. Do you agree with that? That's why when I say the blessing is, is, it's God's intention. It's his heart. The Father's heart is to bless you. If you sit here tonight, you think, I, I, is that some kind of prosperity gospel? No, it's the gospel. It's the gospel. God wants to bless your life. But, you know, here would then be just, just a quick comment. I would say the reason that so many people have trouble with that and the idea that, you know, is that the prosperity gospel? I didn't even, blessing is so much more than money. Blessing is health. Blessing is peace. Blessing is a life where, you, how about this? You, your children like you. Is that being blessed? Amen. Yeah. You laugh at that, but I end up having to talk to people whose children don't like them. And that's not a blessed life. 
That's not a blessed life. It's when it all comes together, when God is working in all of those areas. That's not to say that it's a perfect life, but it's, it's, it's a blessed life. All right, under the transition point, let me just talk about this real quickly. I talked about uh, leaving a legacy. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22, uh, the first part of the verse says this. If you're a believer, you've probably heard the verse. Uh, I'll read it to you. A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. One more time. A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. Right below that, under the note, I put a legacy is much more than money. Inheritance here in the Bible is not talking simply about money. So it is not that a good man leaves money to his children and his children's children. The Bible, it specifically uses the word inheritance. In the Hebrew, inheritance is the word legacy. You got a pen, write it down. It is not simply talking about money. It is not saying that a good man, here's what a good man does. He just leaves money. Inheritance can include money. It can include the idea of finances, but an inheritance is way bigger than money. Inheritance, how about this? A good man leaves for his children and his children's children the way to live life. A good man leaves for his children and his children's children an understanding of serving God. A good man makes it possible for his kids and his kids' kids to have a life that was better than his by the way he lived his life. Does that make sense? That's the idea of inheritance. It's, a, it's an entire plethora. It's not money, although it can be money. It's an entire life. He leaves behind an opportunity for his kids and his grandchildren to live a better life. So I put, I put in here a, a, an understanding then uh, or, or a thought. At some point in life, how about this? You realize certain things about your parents. Everybody in this room over 30. Raise your hand real quick. Okay, it's about half the room, maybe a little more than that. Over 30. At that age, somewhere, maybe a little bit before, maybe a little bit after, have you ever, you ever sit down and think, this is the kind of parents my parents were? When you're growing up, you never think that. You think every parent is like your parent, don't you? You don't realize that some kids are treated different than you. Some parents are harder. Some parents are softer. Some parents are there and some parents aren't. But around, I don't know, somewhere when you're an adult, you begin to look at and you can know what kind of, how about, you know what kind of marriage your parents had. You stay with me? I, I put in here two more. You know what kind of spiritual life your parents had when you become an adult, don't you? You're able to look back and see what kind of a spiritual legacy was left for you. The last one I put down right here, ethics. Yes or no, at some point in your life, you realize the ethics that your parents live by, don't you? When you're little, you never realize those things. But when you become an adult, you look at those things and you recognize, hey, and, and hey, parents, listen to me. You cannot hide it from a kid forever. They will make these decisions for themselves and they will look at how you did it to help formulate in their mind what it's supposed to be like. And I want to say this. Look me in the eye so you hear me say it. The way you did it will largely, largely, largely help them to do it the same way. It doesn't lock them into doing it the same way. But it will largely lend itself. The way you did it will be the natural way the child goes and without God's involvement. It'll be the natural way they live life. Am I telling truth right now or not? Yes. 
All right, all right, look, look, let me, let me give you one. Um, this is Psalms 127.4. Now, this is normally used in, the, in the, the sense of the positive. Let me just flip it around here and use it also with the pressure of the negative. Psalms 127.4 says, as arrows are in the hand of a warrior, so are children's in one's youth. What that means is that when they're little, like, an, like a warrior can take an arrow and shoot it in a certain direction. They become skilled at knowing how to shoot it in a certain direction. Parents become skilled at helping their children go in directions when they're little. Yes or no? How do they do that? By one of those four things that I just said to you. By how you're married. By your spiritual life. By your ethics. By your morals. One of those things will help to shape how your children naturally go towards things in life. We are all... I will agree with this to a certain level with any, with any professor out there who teaches on ethics, that we are in certain ways a large part of the, the influence that we live in. Do you agree with that? Yep. Now, we're not stuck with that because the power of the gospel is this. Listen, it doesn't change your past, it changes your future. So that even if you were raised a particular way, you don't, you can't, you will never stand before God and go, that's how my dad did it, and that's why I do it. That will not hold water. You will be your own person and answer to God. But you will have a certain understanding. The way, the way you saw your parents married is how you go into your marriage, whether you know it or not. Let me ask the marriage experts here, because the rest of the people are all filtering their marriages right now, like, and I like that. It is true, though, isn't it? We are in certain, not altogether, and not locked in forever. The Holy Spirit is far more powerful than that. But we are all a certain product of our household that we grow up in, either the abundance or the lack that's there. We all become a certain product somewhat of, of what we've been taught and what's been handed off to us. All right, in the positive sense, a warrior who knows how to do it the right way helps his kids go in the right way. Someone doing it the wrong way whether they mean to do it or not, that's the legacy. That's what's being handed off. So the Bible then takes the point and says that a good person leaves behind an inheritance for their children and you're going to leave an inheritance one way or the other. A lack of one or a really nice one. A negative one or a positive one. Everybody in the room, think back to when you were a kid. When you think about your parents' marriage, their ethics, their spiritual life, how they understood and did life, you are a product of that to a degree. Here's maybe what makes it so powerful to be believing parents. You have the opportunity to make it easier for your kids to serve God. I don't know if you caught that. Maybe that's, that's the part that believing parents have where non-believers don't even begin to even understand. You make it easier. Here, here I read this three, four years ago, that, that it, it was said, parents, this was said by a, um, a non-believing secular entity, that parents should not influence their children spiritually until they're adults, and then let them make up their own mind when they become adults. Here's the problem with that. The people saying that, was actually a, uh, it was the NEA, okay? I'm not against the, any teacher in here. 
I love you, I bless you, and I want you. But the NEA bothers me. The NEA put out a statement saying, a parent's job should not be to influence their children spiritually. They should grow up and let them decide for themselves when they become. Here's the problem with that, that theology. That if you abdicate your position as a parent, the world does not abdicate what they're telling your children from the time they're this big till they become adults. So if you think, well, what I'm doing is leaving them neutral so that when they become adults, they can decide for themselves. You have made a tragic mistake because the world will not leave your children neutral. Everything around them, every newspaper, every, every talk show, every, every comedy on television is preaching a certain gospel. Yes or no? So the one that you, the one in our, in our midst, Monday through Friday, at 8 o'clock preaches this gospel, that the hookup is okay, that it's normal and natural. The the family comedies are about the hookup anymore, aren't they? And now homosexual agenda is being pushed very fervently at the family hour at 8 o'clock. Yes or no? So here's a parent who who ignorantly, not, not stupidly, but ignorantly goes, hey, I'll let the kid grow up and I won't speak to those issues. The problem is everything else has screamed at them for 20 years. Here's the way it's supposed to be. And if you disagree with us, you're an ignorant homophobe. And you're the one who has the chance to teach why. Boy, it's quiet in here. And I didn't mean to go there in my message. And then again, maybe that's the very thing that should be said. Never abdicate your position. Never turn that over to anybody else. God gave that to you. Marcus, I'm not sure why I went there. How about this? Let me just quickly give you four things to model for your family. If a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children's children, then it's not just my children right now that I'm living for, but I'm living my life for my grandchildren too. So I have six of them right now. Six grandchildren. So I'm not just living my life for Chris and I. And I'm not just living it for the five children that we had. My children are all adults now. There's only one in my household anymore. He's special needs. All of my children as adults have gone their own way. They're doing their own thing. Two out of four don't need money anymore. (laughs) We're close. We're close. We're this close. I say that and it's really like this close, but we're, I tell myself we're this close. The greatest impact spiritually that I can have over the ones who are most moldable right now are my grandchildren. My children, by and large, are already in, I mean, they'll change spirit. Don't get me wrong. God will tell things to them. They will grow. But by and large, they've made their decisions about what they believe at this point. They're all believers. They all love God. Every one of them. I'm not just making that up. It's one of the things I count as being a reality to my Christianity. The reality is not what you see sitting up here right now. The reality is whether or not my family who sees me every day loves God when they leave my house. 
because they judge right now whether or not it was, did dad really, the things that he said in front of you, did he do when he went home? And I will tell you one thing about the generation that lives today. I will tell you this one thing. Disagree with them, like them, whatever. Here's one thing I know. The generation today will not put up with a phony. They will leave you in a second if they detect it's phony. Four things to model for your family. The first one, in my mind, is the most important one. It's spiritual life. Deuteronomy chapter 6, 6 through 9. Let me, did those guys pull that up as scripture? Let me see if they got that. I'm not sure if they got it on there. I don't think they have the scripture itself. I didn't have room in the notes to, to have everyone put in there. So I gave you the reference. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to roughly uh, quote it. I would encourage you, look for yourself so that you can see. Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9, simply says this. When you teach your children about the Lord, when you lie down, when you get up, when you go out, when you come in. Let me just ask you a question. When you lie down, when you get up, when you go out, when you come in, does that not cover pretty much all of life right there? Because you're either coming or going, getting up or lying down. The Bible is just simply saying is, in your course of life, in your natural, normal course of life, teach your children about God. Te look, don't teach them little Sunday school. Teach them what God did for you. If you don't have an active faith, if you can't say what God has done for you today or yesterday, what are you teaching your children? You're teaching somebody else's story from 20 years ago? That's what I'm talking about. When they get to be adults, they will look and they will know you talked a good talk, but you didn't walk a good walk. Are you okay? He's like, he shot me. Hold on. It gets worse. Just hang on here. Spiritual life. I put it at the top of the list in my mind of all the things you could pass on. Here's number one, and I'll tell you why. I believe there will come a day that I will stand before God and give answer for my life. And whether you like to hear it or not, or believe it or not, I'm going to tell you the truth right now. Everyone in this room and everyone at every campus and everyone who hears this message, you will do the same thing. At some point, everything will be stripped away and you will give an account for your life to God. There will be a day when you will look across generations and you will see who is there and who is missing. And it motivates me that none in my family are missing on that day. Here's what I would ask you. What would you pay on that day to make sure that your son or your daughter is standing there? What would you give in exchange for a soul on that day? Because today is the day you have to decide what price you'll pay to make sure they're there. There will be no bargaining on that day. There will be no second chance on that day. And so that seems, you're so harsh. I'm not harsh. I love you enough to stand up here and tell you right now what motivates me. I don't want one of them to be missing so that when they rebelled and went their own way, I wouldn't let them go. I'd chase after them. Yes, they could go to hell, but they had to go around me to do it. <laughs> you think I'm kidding. I would lay in front of their door. I employed every trick I knew and didn't know. I would learn. I would ask questions. How do you, I didn't have the model growing up. 
So I had to, here's why I know that the Holy Spirit, the power of the gospel is not, is not that it erases your past. God uses your past, but it alters your future completely. By nature, I should have been an abuser, an alcoholic, and I should have left and been married multiple times because that was the model in front of me. Multiple times. Coming up on 30 years. Five children and a completely different testimony than the generations that went before me. That's the power of the gospel. That's the power of the gospel. Do you hear that? So then it changes the motivation. I never had a dad. I never had one. Who whoever pursued me, but I learned to be a pursuer and I pursued my children. I'm not above nagging them into the kingdom, whatever it takes. <laughs> Do you hear me? Some of you gonna take that too literal. You, you cannot nag them into the kingdom, but you can pray and they can hear you pray and you can weep tears and they can see you weep those tears and you can be there for them don't take the stance, if you leave here, I turn my back on you. Always put your hand out. Always, always tell them there's a way home. I got a lot of time right now, and I'm going to just do. I, tell you, the first man who ever pursued me, I had an uncle who was a believer, and his name was John. My Uncle John. Love my Uncle John. My Uncle John was one of the first people in our family to become a believer. My Uncle John... We lived with him for a little while because one of the times that one of my fathers had abandoned our family, my mom had no place else to go. So we went to live with my uncle. My uncle John took me to this church camp. I did not know Christ. I was hard. I was rebellious. I was at that age where I wanted everybody to know that's how I was. So I remember at this, at this church camp, they wanted everybody to go to sleep, and I didn't want to go to sleep. And so they were, I was probably 15 years old. And, and so, so this old guy, 50. <laughs> all comes around. Be very careful what you judge as old, young person. You will be there one day. He was about 50 years old, came up the stairs and he yelled, hey, you don't go to sleep, I'm going to send you home. And I said something like, I wish you would. He goes, you want to go home? And I challenged him. In front of everybody, he had no choice. Yeah, I want to go home. Fine, you're going home. I'm going to find your uncle. He's taking you home. My Uncle John puts me in his car. It's like 1 o'clock in the morning or something like that. We only live 15 minutes from the church. It took him over an hour to drive home. He was driving at 5 miles an hour, and this is what he was doing the whole way. It's not too late for you to repent. It's not too late for you to go back and apologize to that guy. It's not too late. I said, no, I'm sleeping in tomorrow. He said, no, you're not. You're going to get up and cut the grass. I said, I don't want to get up and cut the grass. He said, you don't go to church, you're cutting the grass. He, was, he, was, he had the guts to confront me, but he did it real slowly so I couldn't get away from him. <laughs> and he just drove ever so slow, and he kept telling me. And it took almost an hour, but he finally broke through, and I said, okay, turn the car around. I want to go back. We turned around. We went back. I went right in. I apologized to the guy. didn't even know Christ. I apologize to guys. Let me stay here. Please let me stay here. You never know. You never know what it does in a person's heart. 
Kids are infamous for putting up. The, why I'm going this way in my message right now, I'm not sure. Kids are great manipulators at putting up the front, aren't they? To make you think that you are nothing more than a pest and a pain in their life. Your words are penetrating. Keep praying. Hold the faith. How about this? Remind your kids who they are when they forget. Don't ever agree with the devil. Never. He is a liar and his power comes from agreement. When he tells a lie and we say yes to it, we empower him in our lives and in another person's life. Never agree with the devil about your kid. Do you hear me? Never do that. Let me finish. Spiritual life. It is God's design that you are the one who has the most spiritual influence over your kid when they are little. Four things to model or to leave as a legacy for your family. Leave and teach marriage and relationship. Again, this is one, it is more caught than it is taught. One of the greatest things you can do for your children, sir, love your wife. Just love her. Can we have emergency boot camp out in our foyer? Because I, I, they've been taught better than this. I apologize to you. They really, they do. Love your wives. Lay your, lay your life down for her. Give your all to her. There's so much to teach there. Wives, submit yourself to your husband. I put in here Ephesians 5, and 25, which begins with wives. Submit yourselves to your husband as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. It's a powerful scripture. It's God's blueprint for a marriage. And yet today, if you stand up anywhere publicly and say, submit to your husband, you're almost stoned for saying the words. But then we have a divorce rate that is astronomically high. So there's a trade-off someplace. Somewhere between the rejection of truth and the reality of what that rejection brings is where we live life. I put down as an example, Laird and Gabby Hamilton. I know probably most of you don't even recognize that name. Laird Hamilton is a big wave rider. Maybe you've seen him on TV. He's a very famous individual. I was riding an airplane recently and got to ride with him. He had his wife and they had about five little kids with them. And I wanted his autograph. So I hunted him down like I did my kids. And I got over to where the baggage section was. I said, Laird, can I have your autograph? And he was busy with all his little kids. And I looked at him and I saw that. He said, never mind. I turned to walk away. And he said, hey. Turned around. He goes, hold on just a second. Let me square my kids away. And I'd be happy to take a picture with you and give you an autograph. Really cool guy. Won my heart right then and there. Won my heart. Just two weeks ago in the newspaper, they are a couple they're believers, but they're probably at an infancy level of belief. An infancy level of belief. So if you ever go to their website and look at what they write, you can see there's not a lot of maturity there spiritually. There's a belief, but there's not a lot of maturity. But they're believers. She happens to say publicly to the newspapers that to be a good wife, a woman should be submissive to her husband. And the newspapers go home and Google it. The newspapers nationally killed her. They killed her for saying, they mocked her. They did it so bad, they made her recant what she said. 
She recanted it. They, the pressure that she was under for saying it made her recant that she said it. I would, I would ask, go home, just Google her name, and it, you will find 300,000 examples come up on Google of what happened to her after she said a wife should be submissive to her husband. And of course, how did the world hear that? That a wife should be a doormat. Or, or that the wife should have no opinion or no choice, but just not what the Bible teaches and not what she said. She never even had a chance to defend herself. He killed her on the issue. I would just tell you to leave a legacy for your family today will require you to swim the opposite in the world we live with today. You cannot let this world tell you what the legacy is. You have to let God tell you what the legacy is. Am I okay? If, if you let the world tell you, I'm telling you right now, they will have you so messed up, you will be in divorce court before, before you know. Pass on a strong marriage. Pass on right relationships. They're more caught than they are taught. The way you do it, listen, if you've done it wrong, is there mercy and forgiveness? Man, there sure better be, huh? Thank God for it. Thank God for it. But the idea that what we're demonstrating, our children do pick up. Whether we like it or not, they're not Teflon. They're more like Velcro. And a little videotape runs in their head of what, if it's not true, any parent in here of a three-year-old you know everything you say gets repeated back to you, especially every bad word you say, yes or no. Yes? They're little video recorders running 24 hours a day. <laughs> Give you the third one. This one may seem to be like way pastor. why throw this one in there? Here's why. I think this one influences so many areas in life, and this one tends to be forgotten as a legacy. If you're going to pass on a legacy, teach your children and your children's children how to handle money. Do you agree with that statement? So I'm watching uh, some PBS show the other night. You can tell that there was nothing on TV. I'll get an email. On, everything else I said will pass. That I'll get killed for. So I'm watching, I'm watching a PBS thing, and it was on Henry Ford. Henry Ford, at one point, was the most famous American in the world. He was also one of, if not the, most wealthiest people that ever lived. Ford, to this day, has great-great-great-great-grandchildren. Some of them still connected to Ford Motors. Most of them, though, listen to this, live on the inheritance that he left behind. And most of their lives are messed up beyond belief. Most of the Ford's great-great-great-grandchildren are messed up beyond belief. Because they got this wonderful inheritance without the benefit of knowing how to handle money. And we automatically go, money's a blessing. Money can be as much a curse as it is a blessing if you don't handle it right. Proof. Talk to me about debt for one second. And tell me whether or not it's a slave or a master. It'll make you a slave. True? So let me just quickly... I, we have seven minutes. Just let me just, I just do this very quickly. Just here's, here's balance in teaching what to do with money. 
Just, I'm going to give you five things real quickly. Teach your children to get it honestly. Teach them to get it honestly. Teach them to give it generously. Yes or no? Teach them to multiply it faithfully. Teach them how to save, how to invest it. Kids are not born knowing. Here's what kids know how to do. Spend. Yes or no? Here's what every adult knows how to do too. Spend. It is a learned habit to handle money correctly. And if you don't do it right, it can cause divorces, all sorts of mental pain, spiritual issues. Oh, wow, 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 wow. I am not sure that I, okay. Multiply it faithfully, use it effectively, and last one, enjoy it carefully. Otherwise, it'll destroy you. Teach them that. As some are sitting here like, I've not learned that. How am I going to teach it? Learn it. Learn it, learn it, learn it, learn it, learn it. All right, uh, how about this one? Um, last one, integrity. Proverbs 22.1 says that a good name is rather to be chosen than great wealth. A good name should be chosen before great wealth. I put down this, this um, I, I couldn't find, I don't know who to give credit to. The, I, I looked up, it's, it's, a, it's a saying that I have in my office uh, on, on a little piece of paper. Um, I, it's not mine. I wish I could say that I was smart enough to have made it up. I didn't, but I don't know who to give credit to for the saying because it's, it's sort of just become general property out there. But here's what it says. Sow a thought, you reap an action. Agree with that? Sow an action and you reap a habit. Sow a habit, you reap character. Sow character, and you'll reap your destiny. Do you agree with those words right there? It's believer or non-believer, this affects every human. This is, this is a natural law God set into place that hits everybody. It's like gravity. You don't have to be a believer to feel the effects of gravity. True? We're all bound by that law. We're bound by this one too. So you could sit here and say, I deny the existence of God until you could show me the proof of him physically, I will not believe. I would say physically, it's laws like this I can point to that say very carefully, someone with great wisdom charted it out and put it all into effect. It doesn't just happen. Because it's not true for an animal. Only true for humans. Say it one more time. Sow a thought and reap an action. Sow an action and reap a habit. Sow a habit, you reap character. Sow your character for your life, and you reap your destiny. And it's the way that it works. Power of the gospel does not erase your past. It changes your future. This is where, even in the middle of this statement, you could be reaping in your life right now. Everything from that, and like, man, what do I do? Here's what you do. Repent. Bow your knee and tell God, I did it the wrong way. Maybe you got it from your parents or your parents' parents, but tell him, I need you to override that and change my mind. Romans 12, 2. Don't conform to the pattern of this world any longer, but be transformed. People can be transformed when their minds get renewed. A transformed people, transformed churches... Transform churches, transform cities, transform cities, transform states, transform states, 
transform nations. Does that make sense? Unless it happens at this level here. So we're praying, God, rescue our nation. I wonder if God's yelling back, renew your mind. God, save us. Change the way you think. So you'll know what is good, pleasing, and perfect. You can take it. It's like that. Okay, I'm done. So I came to the end of the message when I wrote it. Here's what I asked my pastors. I get that it's a little bit of a hard message. I get it. I'm not immune from that. When I teach things, I have to filter it through my mind too. Am I doing it? I get that it sets a standard. I get that. You can't set one and not cause some people to go, man, I'm here, or I'm here, or I'm up here. That's what a standard does. Said all that, wrote my pastors and said, here's what I don't want it to be. I don't want it to be preachy. I want it to be an opportunity to speak to people, but if it's just preachy, I don't want it to be that. Felt like to a person, everyone said it's not preachy. It's a little jagged, but I didn't, wasn't disguising that. God can use jagged sometimes in our lives, can't he? Here's my question. If you hear this, what will you do with it? Will it change anything in your life? Is it a message you can just go amen and walk away from? Is it a message you don't like so you reject? Or does any of it stick inside of you and you go, God, you're going to have to work this in me? So I'm not asking you tonight, hey, I want you to stand up. I want you to agree. Raise your right hand and promise with me, I will do these four things to leave a legacy with my family. That won't work. Here's what you do. God, will you work these things in my heart and renew my mind, transform the way that I think so that all the, my natural way is this way. This needs to come from you naturally. If it comes from you mechanically, you have to think about it that way. Under pressure, you won't do it. God can change your mind. Here's the question I would ask. How many need changed minds? Some are like, have us bow our heads first. No. How many need <laughs> changed minds? Yes. I need to change mine too. You bet every day. Here, just because you got born again doesn't mean your mind changed. It's two processes. He saves you, but he sanctifies you ongoing. So he saves your soul He's in the process of saving your brain. <laughs> is that a good way to say it? Is that, is that theologically, can I stand on that? Or is that, is that maybe a little, yeah, you're like, I'm backing away. I don't even know who you are. Yeah, you're, thank you. Thanks, Judas. Okay. Uh, <laughs> don't ever do that to me again. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And God, everyone in this room, if we are honest, we all stand before you in, in these, these things. God, we humble ourselves before you. God, I, there, I, I will speak for our group. I am not a good enough parent or grandparent to rely on myself to do all these things without flaw. The truth of the matter is, God, I've got to do these things with the help of the Holy Spirit, and I have to rely on your ability at work in me. So, God, I need you. Change me. 
change me. Folks, can you say that with me? Change me. Change me, God. Change my mind. Change my heart. Make me the person you want me to be. God, it's not in pride that I walk out of here to do my own thing or to reject what was said. I surrender to you. I bow my knee to you, and I allow you. Speak into my life. Teach me and help me, God. I need help. Folks, it's okay to say you need help. It's okay to say you need help. It's like our, our, our friends, the DuFour, stand up here and say, it's so difficult for a pastor to ask for help. It's difficult for all of us to ask for help. It's usually not until crisis hits our lives that we ask for help. How about this? Just like Eric said in his, they have a two-pronged ministry. Some of it is to keep things from happening, and then the other is to minister in the crisis. What if this message was an opportunity to keep a crisis from happening? So would you say yes to that if it kept a crisis out of your children and your children's children? If you could say, God, I want to leverage the idea that my family is there, that the circle is unbroken when we stand before you. What would you give for that right now? I can't speak for you, but speaking for me, I would give everything that I have on this earth to make sure that my children and my grandchildren are there on that day, that there's not one that's missing. God, maybe that's the thing that I pray for my church. Lord, for every parent whose heart fears that right now, go to work, God. Holy Spirit, go to work. Speak to them. Speak to their children, their children's children. Change and transform our minds so that we say what you say. Just like Jesus, he didn't say anything or do anything other than what he saw his father do. Change us to where what we say and what we do is what we see and hear you do. Help us with this, God. Be merciful to us, and God, we cling to you. You're our hope. You're our help. You're the only possibility we have. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.